You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit hopekelowna.ca. And uh, Exodus 33, and you might say, why Exodus? I thought we were in this series in 1 Peter. Yes, we are, but just didn't sense we could get back in there quite yet. And we need to spend some time just in uh, another part of God's Word. And uh, I believe we just have a timely next few weeks together here in the book of Exodus and praying that God would do a good work in us and, and then ultimately through us. But we're now, what is it, 10 days basically into 2021 and it's already been an interesting, a crazy year with the various things that have already taken place. And, and so, of course, we have to start off how we left off 2020. We've got to start off 21 with some new memes, of course, to describe how the year is going so far. So um, let's take a look at this. Yeah, 2020, showing 2021 around the workplace. Yeah, could it just get any crazier, right? Or, um, or, or this one, we hope that this isn't the case here, that... Uh, uh, 2021, uh, we see, is a much bigger wave coming towards that poor surfer down in the sea there than 2020 was even, and we hope that's not the case. And now, for 2021, we also have a meme that uh, may also, um, w- that has some sound to it, so check this out. And if you missed it, it says, I'm so glad that 2021 is, um, 2020 is over, and yeah, you heard that wonderful song. Well, our family um, uh, ended 2020 on quite an exciting note, and most of you have probably no doubt heard this, but our daughter Clarice was engaged on December 31st. And as many of you know, Toby... Um, referred to by me, lovingly, as her friend boy. And that's just a, a father's denial in not being able to say boyfriend for the last two and a half years. And so um, uh, it's, yeah, this fatherly denial. And so now the friend boy, Toby, has now become the future band hus. So yeah, I'm still in a form of denial, I guess you could say. And so uh, that's husband uh, just kind of mixed around a little bit just because it's kind of hard to say that about your daughter. Anyways, um, he called us a few days before uh, he asked her to ask for our blessing, and it was an honor to be able to pray with him and then for their continued relationship and, and, um, and as they start this exciting adventure together. And I think the wedding will be sometime 2025, I think. Think that's what? No, it'll probably be later this summer. And um, so, yeah. Anyways, uh, 2020 ended on a very exciting note in that regard. And, uh, and and yet now, as we head into 2021, and as a church, you might even be asking and wondering: So, where are we headed as a church? What's next for us? What's the next thing that, that's on the docket for us? And, and, and what's that next hill to climb, so to speak? And, and uh, well, there's something that is glaring or staring at us in the face, uh, whether we like it or not, and that's the relocation of our church office. We'll soon be vacating this space where we're at right now. And so the packing and the boxing up has been beginning. This is in the various, uh, some of the offices here on Gordon Drive at our current location, and some work is starting to happen on the new place, and I think there's a picture or two of those. It's quite a bit smaller, and uh, it's a unique um, shape and all of that, but we believe it will be functional for us as a church, and we're thankful for the provision that it's in the market that we're living in and various things we were able to get this for some good terms and and, uh, for a, a fair price. Is this temporary, long-term? We don't know. We don't know what the plan is. We, we don't fully know it, and yet we know that God does. And we want to be ready and ready to move uh, just whenever God, uh, j- just whatever he has next for us as the body of Christ. And, and, and then this past week, no doubt many of us have been saddened and disappointed and just kind of disillusioned or confused and just frustrated, all the different adjectives to describe uh, j- just where we might be at. And, um, 
when it comes to the case counts and the death tolls that continues to, to rise with COVID-19 and just everything going on with that, and saddened um, the toll that this is taking on all of society, so many facets and, 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 and parts of society are affected uh, by what is taking place. And, and even perhaps, again, we're disappointed about the in-person worship gatherings still banned for at least another month. And, and, and yet it is my prayer that, that we would accept this and that we would allow God's Word, that we would be digging into God's Word together in these weeks and that we would be seeking Him in prayer individually and then corporately as a church in this next week especially, and in the weeks ahead, and that we would allow God to do a work in our heart, and that when we get to meet again, we would emerge, not half-hearted, but with renewed hearts, first before God, and a renewed sense of God's purpose, an awareness of God's glory, an awareness of God's presence, an awareness of God's holiness, Because let's face it, for many times, and maybe even for you even sitting on your couch right now, church has become a bit of a bore and a chore. And even when we were meeting in person, we were meeting half-hearted. We weren't seeking the presence of God. We were seeking out other things. Other people are are, are just kind of, you know, just hoping we get hit by something when we come into church. Get, Get charged up for the week or whatever it might be. And would God do a work in these days? Would he revive the work in our hearts? Because I believe we have fallen so far, folks. Fallen far from where God desires to have us as his children. And where God desires to to, to hide us and protect us under his shadow of protection. We've wandered. Brett read already in the overlying theme for these next number of weeks in this sermon series that we're into here where those words of repent and return and revive, and, and we see that in Joel chapter 2, and, and, and the words are on the screen here. It's just, I want to read it again. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart. Not half your heart, with all your heart. With fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. And rend your hearts and not your garments. Now, just to stop there, you just that will stay up on the screen. That part about rending our hearts and not our garments refers to the Jewish practice of ripping or tearing your your clothes, and that's what Jewish people would do. The Israelites would do to show deep emotion or anger or contrition over what was going on, whether it be in the world or whether it be with God's people or even in your own life. But here, God is saying, "Stop the show." Stop it and deal thoroughly. Deal with the sin in your own life. And look at what it says. And return to the Lord your God. For he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And he relents over disaster. Look at what he promises to do. Oh, folks, would we be a people that would repent and we would return. And we would be revived. We would be refreshed. And I believe that the next few weeks as we work through this series and as we work through some passages of Scripture that and, and I believe very much it's going to be very, a, a very defining next number of weeks. Very defining for us as a church. You see, we all face a choice to dig into God's Word, to search our hearts, to have the Holy Spirit search our hearts and repent where needed and necessary, return to our first love and experience his refreshing and his renewal in our life or settle for the same old, same old. Wither wither away in lukewarmness, in a further distance from God. And when we're out of sync with God, we're going to be out of sync in every area of our lives. Even before the service started, a number of our leaders gathered together on Zoom to pray at 8.30. To pray for you, for me, for our church. That God's word, his Holy Spirit would work in a mighty way. Yes, it's not ideal, it's not in person, but maybe we're cutting out some of the distractions of our in-person gathering right now so God can do that work in our lives. This week, 
We are declaring some special days of prayer and fasting, and may God have his way in our hearts, in our lives, in our church, in our region, in our land. And one of the things that I love and I appreciate so much about this church, though, is your heart, because I really believe that so many, you're going to grab onto this. We're going to get after it this week. And we can believe and expect God to do some amazing things because there is something about this church. There is, and I just couldn't quite come up with all the right words to try to describe Hope Bible Church here in Kelowna, here in the central Ogan. There is a grit, a determination, a fortitude, a strength, a spunk, a commitment, a backbone, a let's get it done. There is this gumption to this church that I just love. It's kind of hard to find all the right words to describe it. And, and, and just think about it. Before COVID hit, the church trailer would pull up at 7 a.m. every Sunday. A team would set up. The band would rehearse. People would gather for worship. The kids would be in their rooms and, and worship and come under the teaching of God's word. Then we'd all get packed up again and, and, and out of there by 12 noon and then all kinds of other events and activities and meetings taking place in the course of the week. And if you remember, this was a picture a year ago this month, a year ago in January. Take a look at that. There we were in the main worship theater full of people, and we were now a few months into experimenting with this live stream, and we were wondering, are people actually going to watch online or, or watch on screen and worship together? And, um, and, and then COVID hit, and, and we started meeting in, in, in multiple, uh, or, or we had online services then that started, and, and, and just kind of quickly just getting it figured out and getting it running and, and, and we didn't miss a beat in there and just so thankful for that. And then as the restrictions were, were, were lifted and we were limited to 50, groups of 50 people or less, we started meeting in, in multiple gatherings, in locations uh, here in the central Okanagan and it was going really well. Two services, we were looking at adding more services, looking for another location. It was exciting and we were thankful that even though amidst it, it's just like the mission marches on. But then mid-November, in-person gatherings were shut down yet again. And, then, and, and, and yet we were thinking, but for Christmas, we've got to do something. And, and we've got to do something special to declare Christ and to get the word out. And, and, and so we had the special drive-in services that took place. And just like those great pictures, we, we ran five of those shows and, and just encouraged by, by, by what went on there. And just again, just like within days, like, I think it was like 10 days from when the decision was made to go for it, everything was assembled. There's a lot of work. And, and then that was followed a few days later by Christmas Eve online service where the gospel at these services were proclaimed loud and clear. I'm just so thankful that the mission is marched forward. And that's what I'm so thankful for about this church and, and your generosity and your willingness for so many of you to serve and pray and get behind it. It's an amazing church. And so as we look to 2021 and beyond, you kind of think, well, what's next? What's the next hill we need to take? Let's roll. Let's get after it. Melden, what about that letter that you talked about before Christmas to our government? Where is that? And well, we'll talk about that in a moment. Or in a few moments. But you see, there's a great danger as we head into 2021. There's a great danger that we face individually and a great danger that we face as a church. And is that we can easily settle for success without presence. And that is a concern when that happens. I first heard this statement of success without presence when I was just early in ministry. In the early 1990s, I attended a church conference. And when you can remember elements of a sermon and that from that long time ago, it made an impact. And the keynote speaker at this church conference was Sundar Christian. And he preached from Exodus 33. And those words, success without presence, and the truths from this passage in Exodus 33 has often drawn me back through the years that I've looked at it and read it and studied and prayed through that but I've never preached on it. And then a few days before the Christmas break, I, I, I took and I uh, started going through some of my files in order for this relocation process. And I kind of thought, I got to junk a bunch of files. I just got to get rid of stuff. I just can't keep moving things around and we're leaning things up. And, and I found this amazing file, yellow file. And, 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 and in this file were just some, a, a lot of just uh, amazing kind of things. And some of them were pretty dated and, and, and from various churches where I've served and different things that I found. And, and, and in, in this file, I found the notes from that sermon series at that church conference. 
And that kind of became a springboard as I looked at those notes and, and, and continued over the Christmas season just taking a look at Exodus 33, Exodus 32, Exodus 34. And those notes have caused me to do a bit of a deep, deep dive into this passage. And, and for the next few weeks, Lord willing, we're going to dig into God's word here in Exodus 33 and Exodus 34. And the first thing we see in this passage in, in Exodus chapter 33 is that we, first of all, we see an exciting promise for the future for God's people. A, promise, a promising future. And, and we see that right at the start here, verse 1 of Exodus 33. You can follow along in your Bibles. I hope you have them ready. Kids, I hope you have your kid sheets out as well. The Lord said to Moses, Depart, go up from here, and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, To your offspring I will give it. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey. You see, the plans for God's people were becoming a reality. It was all coming together. This was going to be the night. Going into the promised land, God had delivered them from slavery in Egypt in, in a mighty and a powerful exodus earlier in the book. And now they're getting ready to enter the promised land. And these words from God, and this, these were really, this was really good news considering the meltdown that just happened in the previous chapter. And, and if you rem, remember what took place in Exodus 32, that was a very dark time for God's people. And you may recall that, that Moses went up to the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments. And he was up there for a long period of time. He was up there like 40 days, 40 nights. And the people became impatient. They became angry. They became restless. And, and so they started taking off their ornaments. And, and up from the fire, they threw them into the fire. And up from the fire came a golden calf. And, and they were involved in gross idolatry and, and, and worship and, and immorality. And Moses comes down from the mountain and he smashes the tablets. And some dark events in Israel history ensued. But now here in, in chapter 33, God's continuing his plan. He's not done with us. Whew, what a relief. We got to keep moving on. Hey, you know what? For you today as a child of God, when we, we can and we will at times... And some of you are there right now. You've experienced a meltdown. A meltdown into sin, into selfishness, into idolatry, into immorality. And some of you may be there today as a child of God. And you might even be starting to think in your own life, hey, you know what, after what I've done, God is done with me. There's no hope. There's no future. I'm such a mess up. I'm such a screw up. I'm such a failure. And some of you are thinking that right now. And you're just kind of holding on. But here we see something so wonderful about God. That God is committed to his people, not based on performance, not based on our faithfulness. Let me say that again. God is not committed to his people based on our performance. And he's not committed to, to us as his people based on our faithfulness. But, he is but it's all based on his faithfulness and his promises. And just as God had established a covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and promised that, that there would be a great nation and they would enter into a land flowing with milk and honey and that ultimately from, from that stock, from that family, from that tribe, from that people, there would be eventually come the Savior of the world. God is now continuing his plan with their people, with the people in Exodus 33. And again, it's not based on, on, on their faithfulness, but God's. Because they screwed up. They messed up. And yet God had a plan for them. And today if you are in Christ, if you have confessed and turned from your sin and trusted Jesus Christ and his work at the cross to be the complete and satisfying payment for your sin, and you have made Jesus Christ the Savior and the Lord of your life, there is then in that decision that you have surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, there is now a covenant that has been established in his blood between you and God. Not based on anything now, your performance, it's based on your, that decision to follow Christ and his wooing you into that relationship, him calling you into that and you receiving that gospel call. And it's not based then, we don't continue to keep in that covenant, in that relationship based on our faithfulness, not based on our performance, 
but based on that covenant relationship of what Jesus, based on what Jesus Christ has done. And it's all about God's faithfulness. Now, I know what some of you might be thinking, but Melvin, so does this give us a license to go sin? To go and do whatever we want? Go and do all of this because after all, we'll get, forgi- we'll get forgiveness? Because no matter what you get, you get God's grace. You go to heaven. Look at the Israelites get to go, you know, they messed up majorly and yet they get to go into the promised land. No, no, that's not what we're talking about. That, that kind of living is a cheap and a greasy grace. And that is not saving grace. You see, that can't and that won't happen to the true child of God who is truly born again. Oh, there may be days, there may be weeks, there may be months, there may be a season in our lives where we wander away from God, we live that prodigal life, but a person who is truly born again will come back. And you see, they will come back in repentance and turning, returning to God and experiencing his newness of life and refreshing in their lives once again. And they will repent and return, not because God... And, and we stay obedient and live an obedient life, not because God is threatening us with our salvation, but we repent and we return out of love. That love that he first demonstrated to us through Jesus Christ on the cross. We love him. We obey him. We surrender our lives to him because he first loved us. Because he surrendered his life to be that payment for our sin. You see, the hardest thing to truly sin against is true love. And his love was demonstrated to us in the gospel. It was demonstrated at the cross. And that's our motivation for obedience to God's word. That is our motivation to holiness. And because that is where real life and refreshing is found. And so Exodus 33 starts out with this whew, sigh of relief for Israel. And it can be a great sigh of relief for us too, knowing that, 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 that our God will forgive. But God isn't done with Israel. And the good news is, God isn't done with us either. God is promising success, that he's going to be faithful to his promise. And, and so he says, get ready to go. My angel, I'm going to send my angel, and you're going to drive out the nations, and you're going to settle in the land. They should be joyfully celebrating, correct? You would think they would be, but they're not. You see, the second thing that we see here is we see a sobering word. We see a sobering word or statement. Look at what it says in the last part of verse 3. Underline that word, but. Partways through verse 3 where it says, But I will not go among you lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. Instead of celebrating, the people turn to mourning upon hearing that. He says, I'm going to send my angel, but I'm not coming with you. You will have success, but you're not going to have my presence. You see, Israel realized that God is not simply a powerhouse that we plug into, but a holy God who can be estranged. And is it our sinfulness, our waywardness, our prone to wander, that can cause God to be estranged from us as his children. Oh, we're still his. But our sin has an effect in that relationship. And this put a massive, gloomy, dark cloud over their plans, their hopes, and their dreams. You see, God's telling him, you're going to have all the marks of success. But he says, I'm not coming with you. I'm not going to join you in this. And I wonder about how about for you, how about for me, how about for us even as a church? We can point in our lives, we can point in our church, we can look in the past, maybe even in the present for you. We, we can point to success. We can look at things that look like and sound like and seem like God's blessing. Whether that's in your job, your career, your finances, your ability, your looks, your family, your, your gifting, your reputation, the possessions that you have. Some of you just have that ability. Whatever you set your mind to do, you can do it. It's like, look at you. And yet, if we don't experience God's presence and his blessing in our life, we can have all the success and it means nothing. I mean, look at you. If you live here in the central Okanagan, you live in one of the most desirable places in Canada. How blessed is a hashtag blessed? That's what we are. Or for us as a church, we can look at various successes. Some of those I shared with you, how we just kind of keep pressing on. Or in the Great Commission Collective, the family of churches that we are part of, we can point to success, growing churches. 
More church plants even happening during COVID-19 around the world. Many of our churches have healthy finances where there's great sacrifice and there's a forward movement even in the midst of all of this. And I think again of our church specifically. This fall with the multi-service multi service gathering locations that we were doing, the drive-in Christmas event. Throughout the fall and through the Christmas season, receive some texts, emails, phone calls from other church leaders, from some other pastors, and say, look at you guys, look at you go. We've been an example to, to some of these other churches. We're a resilient church, I guess you could say. And it's like, yep, look at all that I've, look at what all that God has done. Notice how so easily we start taking credit. We start patting ourselves on the shoulder. We really start thinking and can easily start thinking we're something. You see, easily we fool ourselves into thinking that because we may appear successful, that we are experiencing God's presence and God's blessing. But the greatest of all dangers looms for us in settling, yes, settling for success without presence, for pragmatism, for ingenuity, for hard work, all without the presence of God in our lives. It's vital that we understand that God is powerful, that God is mighty. Yet, Yes, we know that he's a God of love, but he is also a God who is holy. And what Israel did with the golden calf shows how quickly and how easily our hearts can be swayed. Nothing has changed since that has taken place. All that needed to happen for the Israelites was for Moses to go up in the mountain for a number of days for their leader to be gone and they get impatient, they get angry and all kinds of mayhem breaks out. We just need to go on a vacation. We just need to have a few things happen in our finances, in our health, or in, in, in a relationship. And all of a sudden, we, start, we can easily fall into a similar golden calf issue in our lives. See, there's a great danger that we think because we are successful that, that we are automatically in God's blessing and in God's presence. George MacDonald, profound influencer on C.S. Lewis, he said this, whatever a man does without God, he must fail miserably or succeed even more miserably. Isn't that something? Whatever a man does without God, he must fail miserably or succeed even more miserably. Look at Hollywood. Look at our athletes. Look at our sports stars. You look at so many of them ruining their lives. They have it all. Success, fame, following. And yet their lives are, are a shambled mess. And this statement from God, you will go, you will have success, but I will not go with you. It ruined Moses. It ruined the nation. Well, this reality and this truth as we examine our own lives, will it ruin us? If this is true about us, and I suspect for many of us it may be very true, have we settled for success without God's presence? We can get so high on the hog, we can get so motivated, we can get so saying all the right things, but where's our heart before God? Quick, rip in the clothes and rend our hearts. Thirdly, we see something here. The third thing we see is the necessary, the rightful, the desperate response of God's people. See, this is in verse verses uh, 4 to 11, and it says, when the people heard this disastrous word, starting in verse 4, it says, they mourned, and no one put on his, his ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, say to the people of Israel, you are stiff-necked people. If for a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. So now take off your ornaments that, that I may know what to do with you. Therefore the people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onward. This word from God sobered Moses. It sobered the people. And notice it says they took off their ornaments. They took off their jewelry. This represented their status, their wealth, their pecking order in society. It represented who they were, perhaps even the role they had or even the heritage that they were a part of. And they set it all aside and they went into mourning because they realized that none of this matters. None of the ornaments, none of the peripherals, none of the things that have made us who we are, none of these things make us anything great if God is not with us. I wonder what are, what are the ornaments we need to strip off in our lives. Perhaps today your ornaments might represent our loves, our pursuits, 
our status, our reputation, the things we hold near and dear. God, you can have this, this, and that, but you're not going to have this. This is mine. This is my little guilty pleasure. This is my little thing. God, it's my business. It's my money. It's my possessions. It's my bank account. The ornaments might represent just busyness, the involvements of you, of your family, of your children. You're running around, even in the midst of everything going on, in all of these other pursuits and, and, and involvements of lesser or even at times unholy things, vain pursuits, vain glory, rather than putting on God's word, seeking him in prayer, meeting with God's people, whether that be in Zoom, on Zoom or in person. Oh, we come up with so many dumb excuses for why we can't do it. We're bored. We're lukewarm. We need to repent. We get so busy with temporal things and not the eternal things that really matter. Now, it's interesting that Israel was willing to do this. They, and, 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 and it's interesting that they were willing and, and, and desperate. They just, just ripped off the ornaments and they didn't put anything back on. God told them not to, but they are already taking them off and so said, okay, we don't, don't want anything to do with this. But isn't it interesting that just the chapter before that, they were so free to take them off for another thing. They were so free to take off their ornaments in order to build something like a golden calf for their own lusts, for their own passions, so they could look like other nations. But now they're taking off their ornaments with a deep sense of mourning and deep contrition and realizing they need God's presence in their lives. And here God is deciding what he will do with them. Now, I wonder um, how many of you would admit, and maybe if your kids are watching, uh, you may need to come clean on this, uh, how many of you have ever been pulled over by the police? And when you see those red and blue in the rearview mirror because they, you got caught speeding, you blew a stop sign, maybe you got caught on your phone, and, and the police officer comes up and asks for your license and your registration, you're pretty somber, aren't you? It's like, yes, sir, yes, sir, or yes, ma'am, whatever, uh, whoever it might be, and it's like, you got busted. And they go back to the squad car and they're calling it in and they're doing a check on you and, and, and all of that. And, and you're just kind of waiting. You're just waiting, okay, am I going to get fined? Am I going to get a ticket? How bad will it be? Will I get demerits? And you're just thinking, oh, this isn't good. And especially if you are a young driver with your L or your N. And, and well, any of us, it, it becomes crucial. But especially for you, and you're just waiting as your fate is being decided. And it's amazing how somber and serious we become and how much we start praying in those moments too, right? Or kids, you mess up. I mean, you disobey. I mean, you pull off a doozy and your parents get caught and your parents catch you. And your parents are livid. <laughs> I'm sure that never happens, but in case it does. And, and they're livid and they're, and they're upset with you and for good reason. And so they're like, you go to your room. I'm sure that's happened to some of you kids, right? I know it happened to me. And we're going to decide what we're going to do with you. And boy, do you develop a prayer life then, don't you? I remember my freshman year in college, uh, yeah, I, I was about a lot of fun in that year, and it was in the midst of final exams, it was 2 a.m. in the morning, and my friend and I decided to pull a prank, and it meant that I, at the end, had to run down the hallway, and, and uh, we figured the, uh, the guy in charge, the resident director, was already in bed, and so the prank went off flawlessly, or so we thought, and as I'm running down the hallway, all of a sudden I hear this, Loser! And there, outside of his door, was the, re was the resident director, the guy in charge. And this was a hulk of a man. I mean, this guy was a lumberjack in the summertime. He was big. He was strong. And he had this booming voice. Luther, get over here. And so I go walking up to him, and I just have this fear before him. And he says, what are you doing? And then he just, get out of here. Just get to bed. We'll deal with you in the morning. Well, I didn't sleep that well that night, and it wasn't because I had a final exam. It was because I was terrified because I was thinking, okay, am I going to get work hours for this? And then is my dad going to find out because, my, uh, because the dean of students of the college knows my dad, and it's just like all of this, and it, you know, all of this is going on. And it wasn't even that bad what I did, but it was this fear. And it's amazing how, how, how restless you get in these times. Well, Israel was in this time. And I trust that we get to this desperate state of like, okay, God, are you with us? Are we experiencing your presence in our lives? Please understand, God, though, is not like us. 
where our hearts move away from him so quickly, but, but, but his heart stays with us and he pursues us and he desires relationship with us, but we are so quick to settle for success without presence, a life without intimacy, a life without presence with God. And God isn't willing to settle for this. He longs for our hearts more and more than our hearts even long for him. May he bring us to a place of desperation in our lives. And sometimes he will use various events in our life to bring us to that. Just like for Israel, they had the golden calf situation and now they have this declaration from God where he's like, you're going to go, but I'm not going to come with you. And they're like, oh no, we're not, we don't want to go any further. And he may bring us to that place of that desperation in our lives. Maybe it's an illness. Maybe a crisis in our lives, in, in, in our family, or a crisis in our nation or in our world. We've had enough of those lately to see that God's judgment, it's coming, it's upon us. Or maybe there's hidden sin that gets, you get outed. Or maybe you just final, finally tap out and say, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. I'm sick and tired of this lukewarmness. God, I need you. But look at what happens. Verse 7. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out, go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up, and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship, each at his tent door. Thus, the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, the assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Moses was a man who was gripped by two loves. A love and a reverence for God, and he was also gripped by a, 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 this reverence for, for God and for his presence, but also a love for people. Are we gripped by the same two loves? A love for God in his presence in our life and a love for the people that he has placed in our lives. It says he used to take the tent. This speaks of habit. This happened regularly. Outside the camp he would go, yet in eyesight of the people, perhaps he was on a bit of a hillside so that they could see him. And he went up into the tent. He went into the tent and when he did, as it says, the people would stand. They would watch. I am sure the camp was silent Kids were kept at bay. Kids were brought in to realize God is holy. We must, we must pay reverence. We must worship. We must pay attention. And they waited as they worshiped to see what God would do. And believe you me, that was not just some casual conversation between God and Moses. You know that casual conversation in prayer where we just kind of repeat the pressing needs of the day? So oftentimes, that's the beginning and the end of our prayer lives. No, there was deep confession. There was deep repentance going on. But today, because of Jesus, we all have a standing invitation like what Moses had. We all have a standing invitation and a privilege of going into the tent of meeting to meet with God like God did with Moses. That we would be a people of two loves, a love for God and a love for others. A love for a holy God. And God has committed people into our care, each one of you. Everyone, God has committed people, even students, School-age kids, God has given you people in your school, in your neighborhood, that we are to pray for, that, that are committed into our care, that we ought to be concerned for about, do they know Jesus? God has committed people, whether in our families, in our church, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in this region, that we are to love and we are to 
serve and to pray into God's kingdom, that we would see them come to know Christ. But you know, going to the tent of meeting at times can be lonely. It can be a lonely journey, but it's also a very necessary journey. Next week, Lord, Lord willing, we will journey on inside the tent and we will hear the prayers of a desperate man. We will see what he was asking for. We're going to stop in our text here today and I just wonder, who will go into the tent of meeting this week? Who will meet with God? Where are the Moseses? I say that right, the Moses is. Where are the people who are like Moses? Maybe that's a better way to say it. Or are we too busy? Too busy putting on our ornaments, putting on so many other things into our lives, pursuing other passions and other pursuits, that those are the things that define our life. Or is it that we would be a people pursuing God's presence and God's power? You know, all throughout the history of God's people, as you read in the Old Testament, this past week I looked at over 12 accounts in the Old Testament where profound work of God took place where God brought revival, brought renewal to God's people, brought a refreshing, brought a reprieve. And there were at least four factors in each case. And the first one was that there was a tragic declension, a moral and spiritual decline among the people of God. Not, not, the world is doing what the world is supposed to be doing. The problem is, is with God's people then and even today, we've become so much like the world. Second, second factor that brought forth renewal and revival was an impending righteous judgment from God. And folks, a righteous judgment is on its way. But then thirdly, a raising up of a burdened leader in people. People burdened, by, burdened to do something about it, to stand in the gap, to say, enough! And they were called, fourthly, to an extraordinary action. What was that extraordinary action? Well, it oftentimes varied according to, from revival to revival, but the most common and the same things that took place was a call to prayer and a call to fasting of God's people. Prayer and fasting. And when this happened, when there was a tragic declension and impending just judgment coming upon God's people and upon the people of the land, the raising up of a burdened leader and, and, and burdened people, and they took prayer and seeking the face of God in in the tent of meeting or wherever they would gather to meet for prayer, they took that seriously. God showed up. And that's happened all throughout church history. It's happened here in Canada. It's happened in Western Canada. When individuals, when leaders, when churches, when families take this seriously and are committed to this over the long haul, oftentimes it's not quick results. One prayer and it's done. No, over the long haul, as we commit to prayers, we seek God, God shows up. This week in my good old files that I referred to earlier, I found another booklet, and it's, it's called, uh, When Do We Need Revival? And it says, 50 Evidences of the Need for a Fresh Work of the Holy Spirit in Revival. And I just want to read some of these here. I'm not going to read all 50 of them. But it says, we need revival. And this is from 1998, so it's not super current with internet and Netflix and all these other things going on, but, you, but you'll catch the drift. 1998, it says, we need revival when we do not love God as we once did. We need revival when, there, when earthly interests and occupations are more important to us than eternal ones. We need revival when church dinners are better attended than prayer meetings. We need revival when we have little or no desire for prayer. And now look at, at the bottom of the screen this quote from Bill McLeod, who God used in a mighty way in revival. He says, when God sees that we mean business and prayer, he gives us a spirit of prayer. He says, I tried praying, but I only prayed for five minutes. But when we mean business and prayer, God turns bored prayer people into men and women seeking more and more of him. We need revival when we would rather make money than give money. We need revival when our Christianity is joyless and passionless. We need revival when we know truth in our heads that we are not practicing in our lives. We need revival when we make little effort to witness to the lost. I mean, I could just go on with this. I'm going to go on a few more. We need revival when we have time for sports and recreation and entertainment, but not for Bible study and prayer. We need revival when we do not tremble at the word of God. We need 
revival when God's people are more concerned about their jobs and their careers than about the kingdom of Christ and the salvation of the lost. We need revival when believers can be at odds with each other and not feel compelled to pursue reconciliation. We need revival when our children are growing up to adopt the worldly values, secular philosophies, and ungodly lifestyles. We need revival when we are more concerned about our children's education and their athletic activities than about their, the condition of their souls. We need revival when we tolerate little sins of gossip and criticism and a lack of love. We need revival when our singing is half-hearted and our worship lifeless. We need revival when our prayers lack fervency. We need revival when our hearts are cold and our eyes are dry. We need revival when we have ceased to weep and mourn, grieve over our sin and the sin of others. We need revival when we are bored with worship. We need revival when we have been entertained to be drawn, have to be entertained to be drawn to church. We need revival when we start fitting into adopting the world rather than the calling of the world to adapt to God's standards of holiness. We need revival when people have to be begged to give and to serve. We need revival when our giving is measured and calculated rather than extravagant and sacrificial. We need revival when we aren't seeing lost people drawn to Jesus. We need revival when the fire has gone out in our hearts and our marriages and the church. We need revival when we are blind to the extent of our need and don't think we need revival. It's maybe half of them. I would qualify for many. This week, here at the church office, we're going to be setting up this area in here. We're clearing it out completely. And it's going to be called our tent of meeting. A place for you to be able to come and meet with God. Will you come? This area will be set up in accordance to public health guidelines. Encourage you to come for an hour, maybe longer, for a time of self-directed prayer. Bring your Bibles, perhaps your journals, there will be a, a study guide that will come. Please don't bring your phones. Don't use your... That just can be such a distraction for you and for others that may be here as well. Read the email. There's going to be an email sent out in the e-news. The Sunday edition of the e-news will be sent out a little later on after the service with more details and some ways to prepare your hearts. And when you arrive, you'll get a prayer uh, study guide that you can quietly work through and it will take you about an hour, maybe a little bit longer. We're encouraging small groups to come at, at all together at the same time, if at all possible. Not for interaction, but, and, and not for corporate prayer, not to like, hey, let's just sit together and pray. No, this is between you and God. This is coming to the tent of meeting. But you can join together with others for unity and for accountability. You know, we're in this together. Starting Monday at noon till Thursday at 12 noon, the church office will basically be open from 6 a.m. on Wednesday and, or Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday morning. We'll go into the evening on Monday night, Tuesday night, and Wednesday night. Small groups, if you've been a part of one, your leaders will get hold of you to let you know a, a time that, that if you're able to come uh, physically at this certain time to come together uh, as a group. And if not, you just come throughout the week. Just, just, you don't have to book in. You don't have to sign up. We'll have enough room here. You'll be safe, socially distanced in that way. Come and let's seek the Lord together. And for those of you wanting to participate outside the central Okanagan or because of health reasons, quarantine, or personal conviction, you just don't, you aren't able to come here in person, there will be details in that email coming out later today how you can participate in this where you are at as well. Please read the email thoroughly. If you don't get the e-news yet, now's the time to sign up. You can do that on the connection card and be a part of that. Now, one other thing I need to mention as we bring this to an end. Some of you have been asking about the letter that that we have drafted that we are wanting to make available to you, possibly if, if you're in agreement with it and it's a loving but a direct and just letting the government know where w our convictions biblically and, and the importance of church gatherings. And, and it's a very good letter. And, and, and we said we are going to release it soon for you to look at and perhaps to sign and to send in. But this week at our elder meeting, we just said, you know what, we need to pray first. We need to seek God. We just can't clutter up with more busyness and activity we need to seek God together as the body of Christ. 
And, and part of the reason for the delay is a sobering story that my brother told me just before Christmas that has stuck with me and I can't get away from it. Just before Christmas, my brother, he's a pastor in Regina, sent a fiery email to an MLA in the Saskatchewan legislature. This MLA is a godly man who loves the Lord, and my brother sent him an email and said, come on, Todd, it's time to take a stand. It's time to take a Daniel stand. And he just kind of listed his convictions and where he's at. And he's like, come on, Todd, let's go. And he was pretty worked up. And, and, and the MLA responded and said, hey, Murray, let's have a talk. And so he phoned my brother and he called him, talked with him. He was very calm, very loving. And he said to my brother, he says, I, I agree with much of what you have said. Yes, what is going on, there are great concerns, and I 100% agree with so much of what you have written in your letter and the concerns you have. I share them as well. But he says, now is not the time. There will be a time, yes, to take a Daniel stand. But he said, Murray, and this is the convicting part, he says, God's people need to be on their knees. Right now, they're angry. They're angry about all of the injustice and everything that is going on. But when God's people pray and seek his face, and personally, we rend our hearts, we turn from our wicked ways. Yes, a time to stand may very well come and probably will happen. But unless we pray and seek God, nothing will change. We will have a voice, we will say things, but it won't have any influence, it won't have any power because it is not under the power of the Holy Spirit and the work that God desires to do. And he says, if we go and make a stand now, we won't have a standing chance of having any influence for God. You see, folks, when the church prays, when the church repents, when the church returns, the church is revived in the power of the Holy Spirit. And when that happens, we will get the attention of a lost, hurting, and angry world. We will have a message to share with them. The world will listen. But if God's people don't pray, nothing will change. The lost will not be saved. And we will walk in lukewarmness and distance from God. Let's pray together. And so God, even now, we just take this time in prayer and examining our own lives, each one of us, May we not settle for success without presence. Even today, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would do a work of conviction in each one of our hearts where there needs to be that conviction of sin and start a deep and a sweet work in our lives. Oh, that we would be like Moses, to be people of two loves, desiring your presence and your power in our lives and a great love for people. And would we move out then in the work that you would call us to do in your time and in your way after being seekers of your heart. But God, we recognize in all of this how much we need you. We need you, we need you every moment. And may you hear the praise and the worship and the call and the desire in our hearts even now as we worship you wherever we are. Do that work in us, we pray. 